I have, I think I have said things and done things and, and sort of um, been an example in certain ways that I think have been uncomfortable for some of you. And I think that's a good thing because I think we need to be stretched. And as God stretches me, I hope that I can do the same and relay that stretching to you. And so when we talk about this topic of the unseen realm, it's a stretchy experience. It's, uh, it's something that we might not feel comfortable with. So, so this week, once again, I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to put some thoughts together. The last two Sundays have been quite intense. I, these, these are intense topics. I mean, you've got to take some of these things home and you've got to go regurgitate it. You've got to, you've got to really go battle with it in your own mind. And I thought, this week, I'm going to give us something easy to deal with. Okay, we need to, you, you know, we can have two hard weeks and then we can just relax for one. You, you agree with that? I mean, Jesus said we got to, well, he, he showed us to rest, right? And then there's the seventh day of rest and all of that. And this morning I went over this lesson again. I'm like, oh, for crying in a bucket. It's loaded again. It's just loaded again. I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, um, but let's, let's see where this goes. And hopefully it's a, it's a blessing to us. The, the real title for this morning, this is the second lesson in the series of seeing the unseen and dealing with this, 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 this realm that surrounds us that, we, that we, uh, we're not even aware of. This lesson is entitled Angelic Entertainment. Angelic Entertainment. Because um, most, most of this unseen realm, right, is about what? It's, it's really about angels. Now, I could just stand here this morning and just regurgitate all the information that the Bible tells us about, about angels, you know, what they're like, what they do, etc., etc. But But I think that would be pretty boring. I mean, then it could just be a lecture. And so what I try to do is I try to look at some of these attributes and, and the way that angels work and what they are and try and ask the question, okay, so what? How does this angelic realm, if angels really are around, how does that affect us? Like, how do we live? How does this change my Christian life? How does this change the way that I um, live um, my life out as a servant of, of Jesus Christ? So, um, I've entitled it Angelic Entertainment because I think the angels find us entertaining. I really think so. I think that uh, they're probably standing around here, most possibly now. In actual fact, I think that there are some of them here. And... I think they are listening to this guy behind the pulpit and say, dude, you got no idea. Well, I'm, I'm just wanna, I just want to tell you guys, I'm going to try, okay? I'm going to try to explain some things about you guys, if I could talk to them now, that God tells us about them. Uh, because it's been revealed in His Word. And one of the first things that comes, and so I think that, I think that we are entertaining to them, but I think... We have to entertain them as well in a different way, as you will see in the text for today. This is one of the things that comes into my mind first, the Ark of the Covenant. Thousands of years ago, the Jews didn't understand this, but God said to them, this is how you've got to make the Ark of the Covenant. You've got to make it like this. And if you look at this, this golden box, and you know the Ten Commandments were placed inside this golden box, right? And the psalmist tells us that God is enthroned where? God is enthroned between the cherubim. And when he says that, he's, the, the Jews literally believe, because remember this, this box, right, was placed in the what? The Holy of Holies. 
This is where the presence of God was. And so they believed that God was actually present between these two cherubim. These are angels. And the Bible talks about cherubim and seraphim. And we'll talk about that in future um, lessons. But what is so intriguing for me about this is once I was studying the book of 1 Peter. And if you go look, there's, there's a verse in there. I'm going to not tell you where it is because I want you to go read it yourself. There's, there's a peculiar phrase in there that says, angels long to look into these things. I don't know if you've ever read that. And that, that, that idea of angels longing to look into th these things, I believe, refers back to the Ark of the Covenant. Because he's talking about the prophecies that were made about the coming of the Christ. That's what Peter talks about now. And so, so the idea is here that, remember, once, once a year, the, the, the high priest would go and he'd take the blood of, of, of a goat. And, and he, would, or he would pour it on that golden tablet between the two cherubim, right? And it's called the mercy seat. He'd pour the blood of an animal that was sacrificed for the sins of the people there. And these angels, what are they looking at? They're looking at the blood. Angels are trying to, and this is an image already thousands of years ago of how angels are looking at the blood, trying to understand how this holy, powerful God of heaven and earth would pour out his son's blood for these wicked, silly, and messed up people. Angels are trying to understand why God would let his son bleed for us. This is the first thing that comes to my mind. I think that the angels were astonished when they saw God make mankind. Because remember, God spoke everything into existence. But when it came to a human being, what did he do? He stepped into the dirt, picked up dust from his hands and made a human. I think the angels are like, what is so special about them? Because when I look at a kangaroo, it's a little bit cuter than this human being. But you, you speak the kangaroo into existence, but the human you make from dirt. The first time God gets dirty is when he makes human beings. And the angels, Job 38 says, the angels are standing there and they're praising God while he's creating. And so they saw this. I think the human race has always intrigued God because they are special. And God seems to be willing to do a lot for them. So, in a nutshell, I think that there are broadly two types of angels. We're not going to talk about cherubim, seraphim, and whatever else, you know, and archangels. I'm just going to say that there's good angels and there's bad angels. As simple as that. Good angels and bad angels. Angels and demons. Um, they, so, so, there's much to say, but I'm going to try and just keep it, keep it simple. In my estimation, there are just four living types of beings in the universe. There's God. There's human beings, there's animals, and there are angels. I personally don't believe there's anything else. So when the Bible talks about an evil spirit, it's talking about an angel. When the Bible talks about a demon, it's talking about an angel, a fallen angel. And then there are angelic beings, and then there's God. So if we talk about angels today, there seems to be attributes of angels that they carry, I want you to know that both good and evil angels carry these attributes because it's the same being. Okay? And we'll get to this into the future that when Satan was flung from, from heaven, he took with him about a third of the angels in heaven. I don't know how many there are, but they are on the planet. I, this needs to sink in. There are angelic beings that have been flung to the earth. They are here right now. Some of them are roaming around in sweet home. Okay. 
So keep this in your mind. I know this might sound weird. You, you know, you don't really want to talk about this. But this, this is what the Bible says. Okay, so let's get into the practicalities. Angels, firstly, should affect how we treat strangers. And you know exactly which verse I'm going to. I hope you do, right? Um, this is referring to hospitality because angels are servants in disguise. Keep on loving one another. Hebrews chapter 13, right? Verse 1 to 2. Keep on loving one another as brothers. And the author of Hebrews is sort of coming to the end of the book. And he's, and he's giving some basic practical, like just um, um, encouragements to the Christians. And he's saying, first of all, okay, in this verse, uh, love one another. And then he switches over and he, he talks about people on the outside of the church. And he says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Uh, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Entertainment means to host or to lodge someone. I think, as I've said, that we bring entertainment to angels. But this is the other form of entertainment that I was um, referring to. Now, think with me. Who do you think he's referring to? Can you think of any instance in the Bible... Where somebody entertained angels without knowing it. I could come up with at least three of those aspects. The first one was um, Abraham. Genesis chapter 18. The angels come down from heaven. They've come to look at Sodom. We're going to read some scripture about that in just a moment's time. The second is Genesis chapter 19. Those same angels, they go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And there they, they meet Lot at the gate. And in the third instance is found in the book of Judges. Chapter 13 verse 15 to 25 where Manoah engages with an angel. And so I think when the writer of Hebrews is writing about this, he's referring to those guys. And he's saying, look, at there's been some guys in the past who engaged with angels. They didn't even know that they were angels. I've heard many stories in my life of people who have picked up people on the side of the road, and dropped them off, and never saw them again, never heard from them again. The one story was about a guy who picked up somebody, and the person drove them, and he was like pretty scared about you know, this person he just picked up and dropped him off. When he looked in the rearview mirror, this guy was gone. Two weeks later, he received a little paper in his window, which was a quotation of this very um, verse. There has been instances like that. I think what the writer of Hebrews is simply trying to tell us is that he's saying, okay, use the history and the examples of people who have engaged with angels and look at strangers as if they are angels. Because they could be. So if you want some inspiration on how to treat somebody that you don't know, read this verse. It will give you and, and think about the possibility that that individual is an angel. Abram bowed down to these guys. He had their feet washed. He had their tummies filled. And he got his wife to bake some bread. Good guy. Get your wife to work. Slaughtered and prepared a tender calf, which was a big thing. So when he met these strangers, this is all the things he did. Wife, get to work, kill the calf. He brought the best to these strangers. And then he stood by the tree. The text is so interesting. You can go read it. Genesis 18. He stood by the tree and he watched them eat. That's a bit awkward. But it's like out of respect. You know, I'm not even going to sit and eat with you. This meal was prepared for you. That would be hard for me. I think my, I would drool. It would drip by the tree. I would water the tree. And Lot did a similar thing. When he was sitting by the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know this, this struck me. Is because why was he sitting by the gate? 
Have you ever thought about that? Genesis chapter 19. Why was Lot sitting in the most wicked city in the world at that time, sitting by the gate? I think he was sitting there specifically for visitors who would come into the town. He wanted to be the first person to offer them lodging because he knew it was a wicked town. And if they were going to sleep in the, in the middle of in the quarters or some other place in town, they were potentially going to be raped. As we know, the story unfolds. And he was known in town, it seems like, to take in the guests. So he sits by the gate. These strangers come. He cares about strangers. He wants to give them a place to sleep. He doesn't know that they are angels. Come to my house, please. And this is a, this is a horrible story. It, it's really, you know, I didn't even want to mention it. But, he, but he, he's there by the gate. He, and then he invites them. He makes food for them. And he's willing to give his daughters up to protect his guests. Manoah made a sacrifice to God. And the angel disappeared with the flames into the sky back to God. You can go read that in Judges chapter 13, verse 15 to 25. And that also gives us an indication of the form that angels can take. Now, the text in Hebrews tells me that angels ought to be treated with honor and respect. That's what it tells us. So that's one thing we learn about angels. They ought to be treated with honor and respect. A angels do not always look like people. Angel can appear to us. And communicate to us through people, it seems to be. But in the Bible, they've got different forms. Who'd like to guess? Genesis chapter 3. An angel appears in the form of a snake. Satan, right? We have an angel appear in the flames of a burning bush. Acts chapter 7 verse 30. The text says the same in Exodus chapter 3. That when um, God appeared to Moses, the text says it is an angel that appeared to him in the bush. And then it says Yahweh appeared to him. And so angels can be in the form of wind or flames of fire. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7. Horses and chariots of fire. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 11. And angels can be invisible to humans but visible to animals. You remember the story in Numbers 22, 21? Uh, Balaam and his donkey. The donkey is moving along and, and the donkey doesn't want to move. Right? Because the donkey sees there's an angel standing in the road. The guy on the donkey, Balaam, he doesn't know that. Have you ever had your dog see something? And you're like, hey, bro, hey. Huh? Now you're going to look differently at your dog, right? Because you're going to be like, oh, wait, let's pause a moment here. So it seems like, in at least this instance, the angel could disguise himself from a human and reveal himself to an animal. Um, and then we see in 2 Chronicles 21 verse 16 that um, David looks up and there's an angel warrior floating above Jerusalem with a sword ready to attack the city. And so in that sense, he appears, an angel can appear as a warrior. What's striking for me is this text. This is Daniel. Daniel comes face to face with an angel that talks to him. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. They didn't even see the angel, but something about his presence made them run away. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face was turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Now, let's just pause for a moment. This is Daniel explaining his experience with an angel face to face. Do you think Daniel was scared of anything? 
He wasn't scared of the fiery furnace. He wasn't scared of a whole bunch of lions who are hungry. He wasn't scared of the king of Babylon. He wasn't scared of dying. But when he came face to face with an angel, the text says that his face turned deathly pale and he was helpless. And then he heard, I heard him speaking, verse 9. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep. What does that sound like? He passed out, man. He was down. My face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And so he's, he's on four feet, man. This, this angel brings you down. He said, Daniel. You are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. And stand up. For I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And so he's shaking. But he's up. I think if this guy tells me to stand up, I'll also try to do everything I can to stand up. Okay, sorry, sir. Yes, here I am. And then he continued. Do not be afraid. If you come face to face with an angel of God, ladies and gentlemen. You need those words. You need, so they can be disguised in the form of an animal, but oh my goodness, when you're face to face with an angel of God, you better be, <laughs> be careful. Do not be afraid. The angel says to the guy who's not scared of lions and the greatest king on earth, do not be afraid. Yeah. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Daniel could face a pride of lions, but he couldn't face one angels. An angel could be anything. Angels could be right next to you and you won't know it. There could be a flame on a candle. The wind through the window, a snake in the tree outside or the stranger who knocks on the door. They could even stand next to you, invisible, weapon drawn, waiting to kill you. Just as the angel of God invisibly stood in front of that donkey. The angel of God could be floating in midair above sweet home if he so wanted to. So the first lesson I want us to take out of this is just this. Treat strangers well. Because you never know if you'd be an angel. That's the lesson from Hebrews. Here's the second lesson. Angels should affect how we pray. Look at this text. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. I love this. If you ever wanted to know what the purpose of an angel is and why angels exist, here it is. Hebrews 1 verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? You want to know why angels exist and what they do? This is it. The writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us in chapter 1 that Jesus is superior to angels. And this is why angels cannot understand it. It's like God becomes human, which is inferior to angels and then he concludes sort of that section and he said don't we all know that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation and so he's also making the argument that jesus is not an angel he became lower than an angel now if you go look at the greek this is this is really interesting angels are ministering liturgikos where we get the idea of liturgy from which means helping, serving, and there are spirits, pneuma. An angel is a spirit that serves and that helps. That's what he's been designed for. And Dave uh, and, and Charlie and those who were here on Thursday nights, this is interesting. An angel is not a physical being. It's a spirit that can take on physical form. 
So it's a spirit. And then it says, sent by God to do what? To serve. You want to know what the Greek word is? Diakonia. Deacons. Angels are deacons of heaven sent to serve who? You and me. Those who are saved. That's why God made them. Isn't that incredible? And I think the angels are like heaven. Oh, we've just been made to serve these guys. Oh, what a bummer. I think that's cool. They don't serve everybody. They serve us. Over and over and over again, God calls us to pray. And we are like, I mean, you, you know, somebody says, yeah, I'll pray for you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. It's like, okay. That's sort of, yeah. Uh, pray, talk to the invisible. Let's do that. I know the Bible says so, but yeah, I don't think that is so powerful. I need other help as well. I need to go and do something. Yeah, okay. I hear you. Ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. The teaching of angels teaches us that there's nothing more powerful on earth than you can do than to pray. There's nothing more powerful on earth to do than prayer. Why do I say so? Because Jesus understood this. You remember this verse, Matthew 26, 53. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions, which is 72,000 angels. Think about this. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He says, do you not think I can call to God? What he's talking about, pray. I can ask God, Lord, please send me 72,000 of those guys with the wings. Send them here. That's what prayer does. God has, has at its disposal millions of angels. They have been designed by God to do what? To serve us. That's what the text says. And so God is like saying, hey, um, you know what? Let me know when you need them. They are here parked in the garage. Pray for something noble and I will send them. Do we actually believe this? Pray for something noble. Be on my mission. And if you need help, pray. I will send them. Jesus understood this. Prayer activates angelic service. That's what prayer does. Look at this. Let's go back to Genesis 18 and 19 quickly. Why did these angels come to earth? Look at the text. It says, then the Lord said, the outcry, that's the key. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. I looked at some of the commentators. Some of the commentators say the outcry came from Lot. Lot is living in this wicked city and he prays to God, Lord, gee, we need your help with this place. These people are wicked and evil. And God's like, okay, I'm coming. I'm sending some angels down. They're going to pop in there by, by, by Abraham and then I'll, I'll send them through to Lot quickly. And if you go through the Bible, you'll see this over and over again. The, the, the activity of angels are precipitated by prayer. Look at the next one, Exodus chapter 3, when, when, when the angel appears in the burning bush. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. It's the angel that led them, remember, with the cloud 
and by the, and with a fiery pillar by night it was it was angelic beings that was responsible for this and so god is saying well the reason i'm coming to save the israelites and i'm sending the angel of death throughout the land of egypt all of that is angelic work the reason why the angels are in egypt tonight is because the hebrews have been praying and they've been crying out to me i think it's powerful and the text that we just read in daniel daniel is engaging with us with us with this angel, right? Look at the text. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding. He's talking to Daniel. And to humble yourself before your God. Look at this. Your what? Your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. Angels come to earth in your aid. Because you've prayed. It's incredible. Think, think for a moment about all the 007 missions that God has sent the angels on. Just in the book of Acts. It's just think about it for a moment. Just the book of Acts. I'm just going to point out a few things because we think, yeah, but that's Daniel. That's many years ago, man. And, and, and Genesis 18. I mean, that's, that's thousands of years ago. Angels, surely they don't operate like that anymore. And ladies and gentlemen, angels operated in the early church. They're all over the book of Acts. Look at this. Acts chapter 5 verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. It was an angel sent from heaven to open prison doors. Um, if you exalt Acts chapter 10, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. This is Cornelius. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. I would too. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And you know the rest. Once again, who brought the angel? What brought the angel? A prayer. A prayer. Uh, let's go to chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So, ladies and gentlemen, when we get together, by the way, next week, Sunday night, we've got a prayer evening again here at the church. Prayer and praise. When we pray, like, do we, does it sink in that we're asking God to send angels? Or does that just never come in? Look at this. They were praying, Lord, help Peter. Help him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on, on, the, on his side and woke him up. I would wake up too, if, and you're going to see how powerful angels are. The guy smacks me in the head. Quick, get up. Yeah, I'm, I'm up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Look at that. The church prays, the angel appears. The church prays, the angel appears. You pray, the angels appear. That's what we see all over the text. Another, uh, I think I've got one more example. What's this? Acts chapter 12, two more examples. On the appointed day, Herod was wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne, and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. Goodness gracious, bro. Just like prayer activates the presence of angels. 
our arrogance and lack of giving God glory where it's due activates the presence of angels. But this time, not to help, but to destroy. Acts 27, we'll close off with this. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Ladies and gentlemen, God invites us to pray to send his angels. They are the hands and the feet of God's work on earth. There is an army of angels that belong to the God of heaven and earth. And they are the helpers of who? The helpers of the saved made by God to serve us through him and his will and by his command. Second Kings chapter 19 verse 35 says that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. I just put this verse in there to sort of just give us an indication of how powerful one angel is. Think about it. How long do you think it took this guy to kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers? I did a little calculation, yeah? Let's say it took him eight hours. He goes down with his sword and he starts chopping away. That means that he killed 23,000 in one hour. I don't want to box this guy. 385 in a minute, six per second. So what's it going to be like? Five seconds, we're done. You don't mess with God's army. I don't think he killed them in eight hours. I think it was a few seconds. Why do we walk around prayerless and powerless if we are backed up by these guys? Why are we so weak in our prayers when we are backed up by these guys? Third lessons. And this is perhaps the most important for today. Angels should affect how we treat scripture. Hebrews 2 verse 7 says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. This text teaches us that angels occupy a position between us and God so it's like we are at the bottom then you get angels and then you get God and I, and I think this is why angels find it so entertaining to to look at this whole thing because they think we are higher than humans but God sacrifices his son for them doesn't make sense so we are lower than the angels but God is higher than the angels and by the way we don't become angels when we die by the way just throwing it out there why because we are not of the same, let's call it, species. Angels are not like people, and neither are they like God. They seem to be the beings, this is my opinion, they seem to be the beings that, that gets their hands dirty for God. You see, because God is holy and nobody's ever seen him. And so when the text says that um, it was God or an angel, it seemed like the same person. It's still simply saying that this, this, this angel is an instrument of God that represents God. Because if God was really down here talking to you, you'd be dead, bro. Because God has never been seen face to face, right? That's what the text says. Nobody's seen the face of God. And so why is that? Because God is in heaven and he's holy. If he had to come down to earth like, like, like 
his, his being, he'll destroy everything because his holiness has to destroy wickedness. And so it seems like God created angelic beings, which are beings capable of entering his holiness and yet entering our sinfulness. I think so. That's my opinion. Angels are awesome and they are powerful, but they also have limitations. And there's three specific areas I want us to understand today in which they are inferior to God. And you will understand why I say this. First of all, angels are not omnipotent. In other words, they can't do everything or anything. Okay? I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? That's Jeremiah 32, 27. God can do anything. Angels can't do anything. They can't do everything. Why? They've been created. And so they can't create. Okay? That's one of, one of the points. Secondly, angels are not omnipresent. And this is very important as we're going to start studying deeper and talking about Satan and demons, etc., Psalm 139 says clearly that God is everywhere at the same time. An angel can only be at one place at a time. If you go read Luke chapter 1 and verse 19, we see Gabriel talks there and he says, well, I, you know, I, I came from heaven. I stand in the presence of God, but I'm here with you now and I've got a message with you. An angel can't be in heaven and on earth at the same time. An angel cannot be in um, Johannesburg, South Africa and in Sweet Home at the same time. He's not omnipresent. Here's an example in Daniel. Do not be afraid, Daniel. This is the angel still speaking to him. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. So angels can be resisted. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And so it seemed an angel can be resisted and he can be detained and stuck in a place. So important. I'll give you a snippet. Satan has probably never been close to you. Because he can only be at one place at a time. And sometimes we give him the attributes of God. He's not omnipresent. But, here's the thing. He has a lot of buddies. And his buddies, you might have ten of those guys around you every day, watching your every move. I'll leave that for you to ponder on. Thirdly, angels are not omniscient. They don't know everything. 1 John 3.20 says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Look at this text. We know this, Matthew 24.36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but only the Father. There are things that the angels do not know. They don't know when the end of the world is going to be. Now, where am I going with this? What am I trying to say? Angels are less powerful than God, but more powerful than us. Fallen angels, demons, and evil spirits, they use their powers to tempt us, distract us, divert us, deceive us. Some angels even manage to get people to worship them, which is Satan's reason for the rebellion, by the way. Now, with that in mind, look at this. Therefore, Colossians 2, verse 17 to 19 do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels. It is possible to worship angels. We spoke about this in the first lesson, the teachings of demons. This is why we need to have it clear that angels are not God. They are not divine. 
but they are above us. They've been on the earth for 6,500 years, at least the, the, the fallen angels. They know human behavior better than we can ever imagine. And that leaves us pretty much exposed to them. They're more intelligent than us. They are more powerful than us. And they roam around us. How do we protect ourselves against these guys? Look at this text. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. I'm not going to even go further into that. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. And those of you who have sat and discussed this with me, I'm not sure. Do you know that there are two religions in this world that were started most probably by an angel? One of them is very prominent in the state where we live. It's Mormonism. Did you know that? Joseph Smith claimed that an angel appeared to him, Moroni, and gave him golden tablets. That's the Book of Mormon. And people say, do you think that he was lying? No, maybe he wasn't lying. Maybe really an angel did appear to him. I wouldn't. It's very possible that an angel did appear to him. Look at the text. If an angel, even if an angel comes and preaches a different gospel, do not listen. That is a religion founded upon the worship of an angel. If you think about it carefully. Now, not just that. What about Islam? I think it's 2 billion people in the world. I think so. That are a Muslim. Do you know how the religion started? Muhammad went into a cave. Guess who appeared to him? An angel. And apparently recited to him. The, the, the Quran that now is the, is the main book that leads them. Here you have it. So this is real, ladies and gentlemen. The work of angels is very real. These guys have created religions. They've spoken lies through these religions that have impacted the lives of thousands of souls over the last few hundred years. You might be saying, okay, well, I'm not a Mormon or a Muslim. I'm safe. Yes, Fallen angels have no bearing on me. Pause a moment and think about these two verses. The one is in Genesis 31, 11. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. Look at this one. Matthew 11, 21. Yeah, it's actually 2 verse 20, I think. Sorry about that. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take, my ho take, take Mary home as your wife. The reason why I just raised these two verses as examples. Angels seem to be capable of penetrating your dreams. Think for that. Think about that for a moment. Angels seem to have some capability of entering your thought processes. You're lying there. And an angelic being comes into your subconscious mind. And as a message for you, that's scary, isn't it? That's crazy. Now, I'm not saying that evil angels have that power, but they could. I don't know. They very well could have some power to speak into our minds. If angels can communicate into our unconscious mind, I have a question for us. How do I know if I can trust my thoughts or not? This is, this, is, this is very, very important because all over this world, there's the spreading of the teaching of demons. It's here. 
And what strikes me, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm just being, let me just pause for a moment. I was actually just take the seat there on the opinion seat. Listen, I talk to people and I'm like, and they tell me things and I can see what they're thinking. And I'm like, Did, have you ever read the Bible? Because that what you're thinking, that contradicts what the Bible says. But you think that. How do you know you can trust your thoughts? Like, honestly, how do you know the thoughts that you have? What you're thinking right now has been planted there by God or by some angelic evil being. How do you know that? How will we distinguish this? Is it you speaking? Is it the, uh, the teaching of a demon in your head? Is it just what you believe? How do you trust the thoughts in your head? Because the thoughts in your head is directing your life. So how do you know? You know where I'm going with this, right? If any thought comes to you that is contrary to the Bible, it isn't from God. The only way you can test whether your thoughts are pure and of God is through the word of God. And the people say, oh, I don't want to study the Bible. I'm like, are you insane? Are you, are, you, are you stupid? Sorry, are you? What's wrong with you? How do you know you can trust your head? You can't trust your head. Get into the word, ladies and gentlemen, because you will just trust whatever's in your head. And I think for some of us, this is an unsafe neighborhood. There's some wild guys running around in here. You want to kick them out? You've got to get God's word in here. You have to. Sometimes we trust thoughts that have been planted by demons. Don't do that. That's why the world is in a mess. Now I'm tired. Let me close off with two other things regarding angels. The first thing that you will see after death is going to be what? It's going to be an angel. We see in Thessalonians and the book of Matthew that God will send forth his angels to collect from the four corners of the earth those who belong to God. So if Jesus comes back, the first thing you're going to see is an angel. And you know what's probably going to happen? You're going to pass out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> because he's going to come in all his power. Luke chapter 16, 22 tells us that when um, Lazarus died, guess who came to fetch him? It was angels. You go speak to people. You go read the research on near-death experiences, and they will tell you. Now, I don't, I don't want to go into debate about how true this is or not, but they will tell you that there were beings that came and fetched them. And spoke to them. And I believe that if this is what happens in Luke chapter 16. Then this is what happens when we die. Doesn't this give us. My brother Rolly. I, I, I want to just. I mean as an example. I mean the moment that your lady passed away. There were angels in your house. That came to fetch her. That's incredible. Doesn't this give us a type of comfort that's incomprehensible. That these powerful angelic beings. Who can kill people at the rate of six seconds. Well, six people per second, if they work for eight hours. I mean, th that is incredible. This being comes and he puts his power aside and he comes and he carries your loved one's soul to eternal life. And that's awesome. So that tells us that death is entry into the angelic realm. So when you die, you enter the life and the world where angels operate. So that's the first thing. The first thing we will see at the end of life is an angel. But there's something interesting for me, secondly. 
is that life is far better where angels live than where we live. And this might be a little bit under the belt, but I see that most of us are sort of adults here, and the kids can just block their ears. Angels don't have children, and they are not married. And therefore, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 25, 22, verse 30 as well, because they, they don't marry, we can assume. Um, Brother Steve, you need to close your ears. You're too young for this. They don't have intercourse. Now, if we just talk about our physical bodies, the highest physical experience that we can have in this world, in this body, by the way, created by God, and we don't have to speak about this unashamedly, is the experience of intercourse, the production of another human being. It's the deepest, most intense experience that you can have in this body on earth. And angels don't have that. Yet, they worship and praise God permanently. And they seem to be pretty happy up there. When we read the text. So how is it possible that they can find themselves in eternal joy. And yet they don't even experience the highest form of experience that we do. There's only one solution. Heaven is a happier place than this. And the experiences in eternal life is far better and greater than the experience we can have in this flesh. This little body where the hair is falling out. And it's weak and miserable. Ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me recap. And leave you with this. When you leave here today, may the presence of angels be ever in your mind. May you treat strangers with deep love and respect. Great Greek word is philostorgos, which means a deep, passionate love based on knowing you for a long time. And storge, the love that you have for your family members. That's the love of, of uh, sorry, philozenos, is, is xeno, where we get the word xenophobia from, is love deeply strangers. Do that this week. Do it for the rest of your life. And when you pray, pray with in mind, having this vision in mind that there's angelic beings ready in heaven, ready to go. But I want you to know as well, I'm not saying this morning, well, let's just pray. You know, I've got an issue with this guy. Angels come sort him out. No, no. If you go look at the times that angels actually came in and did something powerful, it was because the people were aligned with the mission of God. They were proclaiming the gospel. When you walk in line and you're on a mission for God, he will, he will open the gates of heaven and send angels to do whatever needs to be done. The problem is that we are so busy with what we want and not God's mission that we find it strange that he doesn't just send angels to come and sort out my wife because she was ugly with me tonight. No. So pray. And then thirdly, thirdly, get into the scripture and may your Thoughts be challenged by God's word because otherwise you won't know who's teaching you or following. Let's stand and then we sing the closing song for this morning.